0: welcome to between lewis and lovecraft
1: i'm hannah and i'm tyler we're here to learn more about the lives of authors that have inspired us a journey into the stories they not only created but also lived
0: so join us as we dive deep into the worlds that live just out of reach welcome back sports fans i'm tyler clausen and welcome to our coverage of one of the greatest scientific fantasy writers of all time isaac asimov standing at six foot one i have no idea if that's true or not he comes into the arena like a giant crushes his opponents absolutely dominates the scene i'm told that we have hannah down at the arena ready to talk more about isaac asimov hannah tell us about This giant of a man. Well, Tyler, with a
1: career high of 451 books in the span of 40 years, Isaac is not to be messed with on the court.
0: Absolutely (laughs) wonderful. I'm so glad you played with that. That was so fun.
1: (laughs) Actually, I think it was more than 451, but it sounded- Was it really more than that? You know, it depends on how you count. (laughs) Yeah, because
0: he he gets into that in his book, right? Where he's like, I mean, some could be considered mine, (laughs) some shouldn't be.
1: It was way too many freaking books. Yeah,
0: definitely it was. That dude, I mean, he talks about it. Like, all he wanted to do is write. Yes. Sun up to sundown, he wrote. That's what he did.
1: That's what he wanted to do. Uh, He wanted more. If he had more hours in the day, he would write more. If he was told he got uh, six months left to live or something, he responded to Barbara Walters. I think that's who was interviewing him. He was like, uh, I would type as fast as I could.
0: Yeah, because all he wanted to do is tell fun stories and write some books, so
1: and grab ladies asses.
0: Oh, we're getting into that. <laughs> I didn't even bring it up this time. It was Hannah.
1: Well, you know, you dropped the uh the extramarital affairs bomb last time, so mm, I'm like
0: I did. Yeah. But
1: what about all the butt pinching? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, there was a there was a point listening to this audiobook where I wasn't sure if maybe he was bisexual because of the way he described all the men in his life. Like he described them in so much detail. And think then he
1: had a lot of man crushes.
0: Yeah, but well but then you look at the relationships he did have and it was like he liked the women. Like yeah. he liked women.
1: And uh I think we'll get into this a little bit more later, but there was one particular friend uh who he described as being like overly touchy feely and he didn't like it. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe not bisexual or sure. he just wasn't into Alfie.
0: Or that yeah, the one the one guy. Yeah. Um, so we're diving back into Isaac Asimov. Where did we leave off?
1: We left off somewhere after he got out of the military, um, mm-hmm. and you know, there's so much work to talk about in his life, but I feel like the interesting stuff is, you know, not his uh postdoctorate career or time spent as a biochem yeah. lecture.
0: He spent a lot of time as as uh. A lecturer, And he, in his words, he was like the best one there, of course, because
1: because even though he like didn't actually know that much about biochemistry in particular, he, I guess, was really naturally gifted at lecturing. Um, like as part of his Ph.D. research and, and thesis, he had to give a presentation, which was like his first he described it as his first experience with public speaking. And he just got up in front of the class and had an hour to like draw mathematical and uh, chemical equations on the blackboard he had that set up but when the audience arrived he was like just listening listen to everything i say and all will be clear and somehow it worked he didn't have any butterflies he just kind of launched right into it and uh professor dawson who was like overseeing his phd stuff um said it was the cleanest presentation he had ever heard and um from then on asimov was like i can do this public speaking thing yeah he did it a lot he
0: did so much of it and it's Kind of weird how often people couldn't make their speaking engagements when he showed up to events. Did you see the pattern? Like, like he showed all... up and
1: filled in for them? Or yeah, something? so
0: many times.
1: Oh no, I didn't. I didn't get into that very much, but I mean, that does not surprise
0: me. I Maybe I just don't go to enough conferences to where like I, it's normal in my experience to see that someone just can't make their speaking engagement. But every time I, I've gone to somewhere it's like this person's talking and they show up and they talk.
1: <laughs> you would hope so in a well organized like uh, conference or or convention. Uh but yeah, I could totally see him just like rising to the occasion being like, Oh, I'll come up and lecture about this thing that I barely know about.
0: Yeah. And th- and this plays <laughs> into like, you know, we we we're not necessarily gonna go into his his scientific Um, field of, of expertise or anything like that. But this is important because it is such a big aspect of his personality, him public speaking, like it, he, it's like number two, like there's writing and then public speaking. He loves to do it. Um, and he was good at it and people enjoyed it. So
1: yeah, because um after he finished his PhD and like shout out to his dad, his son finally became a doctor, just right. not the kind just he wanted, just not the right
0: kind of doctor. <laughs>
1: um, but he, after that, he got a job at um, Boston University School of Medicine where he was teaching biochem and making a good salary at that. He was also writing textbooks at the time, which was really surprising to me. But he was writing textbooks, um, even for as young as like high school, I think. Um, so that was kind of cool. But while he was at Boston University, he like. He really wanted to lecture more than do any sort of research, and he ended up getting in trouble like a few years into his career because Boston University was like, yo, you're not teach or you're not doing research anymore. you're supposed right. to do research as part of this job." So they like tried to fire him and he had to like fight for his job for like two years. and then after that, it seemed like his job there was mostly symbolic. He just like gave an opening lecture every year. yeah, and that was all I could find
0: yeah well and and he used. The fact that he was doing um, research for his books, like that was to his continue way of being, oh, to do research. Re- like, oh, I'm writing a textbook, so, so I'm doing research. When in reality, he's doing the research to write for textbooks that he's getting paid for, but also for scientific, you know, like novels and things that he's writing.
1: So he's like working the system. Yeah, but yeah, so that's his like boring day job is you know, as a super uh, prolific lecturer.
0: Yeah, that must suck. That yeah. must be real annoying to be a prolific f- uh, public speaker and getting paid good good amount of money for that one.
1: Uh, but what he really wanted to do was write, as was the case for most of our people that we talk about. I think.
0: Oh, is that what we do here? Yeah, that's what we oh, do here. Okay.
1: So, um, in in the early fifties, while he was also working his his um associate professor job, he um he got gnome press to publish i robot and the first three foundation books um so the story with gnome press was a little wild um D- double Day was asimov's regular publisher but for some reason they weren't interested in the foundation series yeah and he really wanted to get that out there so he took them to gnome press um and they published three um and these were based on like short stories and novellas so they kind of like combined them into actual books um Eventually, though, he had to fight to get the rights back to his books because Gnome Press was notorious for not paying authors royalties. Yeah. Like they would say like royalties are pretty standard for authors. And every time he would bring up like, hey, you haven't like sent me the check for the royalties. Uh, the the owner of Gnome Press or the publisher would be like, oh, or, like I forgot, or like, oh, it's coming, yeah, and then just like put him off for or our, for our ages. accountant
0: Quit, so I can't issue checks right at this moment. Yeah, so. but
1: I'm gonna do it eventually. Yeah,
0: we'll we'll get it to you for sure.
1: And then Asimov was just like, screw this. Like we he got, never he never saw he royalty. never got his royalties from this dude. And eventually, all the good authors left Gnome Press, and uh, the company went under in the 60s, a hundred thousand dollars in debt.
0: And there was a point where. If I remember correctly, Asimov was talking about how, like, he's going to take these books to Doubleday and get them reprinted and republished. And the dude's like, you know, well, what about our rights to these stories? And he's Asimov like, was like, me- well, what about the royalties? Where are they? And the guy kind of shut up. And he's like, yeah, like, you don't have any right to these stories because you haven't paid me for them. Yeah. And Asimov is is all about that. Like, he, he, he thinks, like, he goes after what's fair and. And he's not afraid to call people out, but at the same time, every single one of his business relationships becomes personal. And
1: well, and he does have a lot of loyalty too. Like he was surprised at one point because like one of his early editors um, left Doubleday, and he was like pretty close with this dude, and he was like, "What editors just like leave their publishing companies? (laughs) Like that's a thing."
0: Yeah, early on, he didn't understand that. And being an editor is just a job. Like you go from one publisher to the next. I mean, especially nowadays. I'm sure it's it's well, like that's how you get raises, hop. right?
1: <laughs> now I don't know how it was back then.
0: And and so for, but then at at the same time he says, yeah, it was a it was a shock. But then within you know the first two meetings with his new editor, they were best friends because yeah. that's how Asimov was. He loved people. He loved to just talk and conversate and 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 get to know people. Yeah. Um. Hold
1: on. Totally lost my place here. Oh, um, the other thing about Doubleday was like when he got the rights to his books back, um, he mentioned in his memoir that like he even though he didn't get the royalties or anything, he was glad that he went to Gnome Press with them because otherwise the foundation series would never have happened right. the way that it did. Right. So, yeah, it kinda sucked, but it was a really important um step in his his career as a writer
0: yeah something you know akin to back when he first got published and it wasn't with Doubleday it was somebody else and because it was somebody else his they used his actual name
1: oh yeah uh before it was John Campbell so like john campbell when he was mentoring him Mm -hmm. like he got published in another short story magazine first right and used asimov whereas john campbell was like i like my dudes to have normal white english names he would have
0: changed asimov's name to something else as a pen name and so like it it just shows like there he looks for the good in any situation um because a lot of people just be you know they'd be jaded off the fact that this company's been stealing money from them
1: And I mean, as we talked about last episode, Asimov definitely has the capacity to be like um, not a douchebag, but like very (laughs) like he looks for opportunities for revenge a little bit. Yes. Like with the people who like underpaid him that one time or um, like didn't give him a like who didn't accept his application to that one program or that one job. Like he definitely likes to get his little little revenge in.
0: Yeah, he definitely does. And there were even now with uh, with his job, like there were, he was fighting for tenure and being a professor or whatever. And and there were people at that uh, college, that university that were just giving him shit. And he held on to that stuff. And and he always looked for his opportunity to, to stab back at them.
1: So he's an optimist, but he's also petty. Yeah,
0: <laughs> a petty optimist. A petty yeah.
1: optimist, and I I respect him though because he's very uh, honest about his pettiness in his memoir.
0: Yeah, I think that he does a good job of setting up the um, look. I'm I'm conceited because, or I'm vain because I do like myself. Uh, but here are the facts, and so like you learn to you learn to take him at his word for how good he is at stuff because he's willing to also say how bad he is at stuff at the same time
1: <laughs> yeah he kind of gives an uh, unabashed view of himself <laughs> yeah um so do we want to talk about the foundation series here a little bit since this is when it's kind of getting off the ground i mean this is a series that he'll he'll write for the rest of his career yeah basically. absolutely
0: we we absolutely have to yeah. talk about foundation and robots and all the stuff that he he drove in there let's do foundation let's let's separate this the rest of this episode we got two segments we've got (laughs) his scientific or his sci-fi literary work and then all the people he slept with thank you yeah that's so (laughs) if you don't care about his writing you just want the hot gossip on where he stuck his dick let's skip to like i don't know let's go 20 minutes in and we'll we'll get there
1: the hot gossip on Isaac Asimov. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a sentence that's never been said before. I'm um,
0: pretty sure, uh, dude. Got, dude fucks.
1: Yeah, I mean, if dude was around now, that would be a sentence that was. Yeah. That was uttered Absolutely. back in the '60s, probably not. Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, with the serious stuff first, so Foundation. Have you read any of those books?
0: No, I haven't.
1: So, uh, from what I gather from reading some, some stuffs about this. Uh, it's about the decline of a galactic empire after a rule of 12,000 years. Come at me, nerds, if I'm getting the details a little bit wrong. Um, a scientist has created a new science called psychohistory, which uses mathematical modeling to analyze um, behavioral data of people. So using this, he's able to predict society's future and sees warfare that will last tens of thousands of years. So he gathers all the intellectuals together and takes them to a remote place called the Foundation um, to try to, like, mitigate this impending doom. Um, The series spans thousands of years and is super complex. Um, So, yeah, that's like, oh, it also involves um, the mule, which is like a genetically mutated human that pops up and, like, foils all of the carefully planned uh, science and predictions that this the main character of the foundation series made um, and the mule is like supposed to be evil in this series. So, that's what I know about foundation. <laughs> Just
0: blah. There's
1: there's the word vomit. If you are a fan of the series, tell me everything I got wrong and I will it's, not be hurt at all.
0: After listening to his uh audiobook, I definitely want to check out the foundation series. I know that tons of people love it. And so I, it's definitely worth checking out. I love that it's based off of him going through textbooks, and then being like, "What if somebody wrote a textbook in the future about a a, a whole like society in the future?" I don't know. I don't. I don't know how somebody reads and writes textbooks and goes, "Let's make this exciting."
1: <laughs> Isaac Asimov does. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, this this series is huge. Um, in 1966, it actually won a Hugo Award for best all time series in sci fi and fantasy, snatching the prize from none other than J.R.R. Tolkien. So, yeah,
0: it came down to Tolkien and then and him and then like two other people. Right. I don't
1: remember who the other two were. I was just like they, oh. it was,
0: they were big names like it. It's a big deal that that he won over all of them.
1: Yeah, I couldn't believe he beat Tolkien. And
0: even he didn't realize that he had beat Tolkien. (laughs) He was like, when he saw who was up for, you know, up for the grabs on the Hugo Award, he was like, well, obviously it's Tolkien. Tolkien (laughs) is a genius and his stories are fantastic. And again, this is what I love about Asimov, right? Like, I keep comparing him to Ernest Hemingway because Hemingway read other people's stuff and was like, this is shit. You're absolute shit, but everyone loved him for some reason, right? But Asimov, he loves other people's works. Like, he is a fan of Arthur C. Clarke. He is a fan of Tolkien, and he he loves reading and and enjoying the stories that are created, and he encourages people in that. He doesn't break people down, ever. Like, I I never, at least from his point, point of view, right? Maybe there's someone out there who... Has a story, but from his point of view, he never actively sought to break people down. Like that, at least. He liked to make fun of people all the damn time, but... Yeah, but not in like to, a bro like, way. Yeah, exactly <laughs> like a bro way.
1: Yeah. Uh Did you find who the other two were?
0: <laughs> no, I got distracted talking, and so I'm going to look it up while you say more stuff, and then I'll And then you'll it out.
1: interrupt me. Yeah. With with the information that you're finding. This is
0: why people tune in, Anna. Uh, this is it. This is the reason.
1: Obviously. Um God, there was something about Oh yeah. Um, so I found out super last minute that Frank Herbert um actually like drew on the Foundation series a lot for Dune. Or like that some of his stuff was kind of he's he had critiques of the Foundation series. Um because Oh, God, I wish I had the quote in front of me. Where is it? It was. Oh, he he questioned the assumptions about science that it made um, because he said he wrote in an essay. History is manipulated for larger ends and for the greater good as determined by a scientific aristocracy in the Foundation series. It is assumed then that the scientist shamans know best which course humankind should take. While surprises may appear in those stories, like the Mule Mutant, it is assumed that no surprise will be too great or too unexpected to overcome the firm grasp of science upon human destiny. This is essentially the, uh, the assumption that science can produce a surprise-free future for humankind. Herbert didn't like that. Um, and so <laughs> so uh, Dune kind of com- commented on that. And then also the interesting thing that I thought was like the Mule in the Foundation series – is is bad the genetic mutation is seen as as the enemy here in dune they completely reverse that and the mutant is like the savior of the universe basically
0: yeah uh paul atreides becomes like this weird worm guy yeah
1: and then the scientist shamans as herbert would call them are like the benny Gesserit, who are the the bad guys so i thought that was kind of interesting because i always forget like which writers are are writing at the same time in our like timeline of episodes like i completely forgot that tolkien was around at the same time as asimov like they seem like they're in two different universes basically
0: yeah absolutely because
1: they're so different
0: this is really annoying it's just showing me all their winners and i'm like i don't care about the winners i care about when isaac won show me when isaac won
1: the only one who matters (laughs) it's the only one that matters
0: Um, there's a lot. Oh man, it keeps going on and on and on. Hey, uh, Frank Herbert won. That's interesting. I don't care. Um, I don't think we need to keep looking at this because people don't care to listen to us research. That's why they come.
1: Oh, I found. Well, I found the list. There's three other ones: Robert Heinlein, 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 uh, Edward Smith. Yeah. And Edgar Rice Burroughs. Edgar
0: Rice Burroughs is a big one.
1: I've never heard of, of him before.
0: What? No. How did we talk about Lovecraft and you didn't know who Edgar Rice Burroughs is? See, Love- like, Love- it's Lovecraft like doesn't his...
1: seem like he was around at the same time as Asimov. Lovecraft died
0: really young. He died in the 30s.
1: Oh, yeah. Tragic.
0: Yeah. Robert Heinlein was also one of Isaac Asimov's friends. No, I knew that. Like, it was like he beat out his own friend.
1: Oh, no, that's fine.
0: And one of the most well-loved and received fantasy authors of all time
1: that's the shocking I saw, one
0: i saw a uh meme the other day where it was like um how much would you pay what would you give up in order to ha- play dungeons and dragons and jrr R. tolkien is your dungeon master <laughs> and i'm like you obviously didn't don't know anything about <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons.
1: And the Tolkien family's uh relationship with it. Yeah,
0: they would have hated that. Tolkien wouldn't have done that. <laughs> Gary Gagax hated Lord of the Rings.
1: Also, Tolkien, despite being like a cool guy, I don't think was uh the most fun loving person. You'd way rather play with C. S. Lewis.
0: Oh, Oh, one hundred percent I'd play with Lewis. He'd be so much he'd be so much better as a DM. Are you kidding me? Yeah. He'd be all, like, theatrical about it and, and stuff. It'd be great.
1: <laughs> but actually, now that I, I think about it more, like, Isaac Asimov and J.R.R. Tolkien seem like uh, g- a good pairing for, like, first and second place for best series of all time because they both put so much detail into world building.
0: Why do you think it is that Tolkien's Lord of the Rings has become popular enough to to create the the movie... Which then has spawned, you know, an entire culture of people that love fantasy and Lord of the Rings stuff. Whereas Isaac Asimov, who did win this award, the Foundation series has not n- even nearly come close to the pop culture, you know, um, zeitgeist sort of, of thing.
1: Oh God, that's so hard to to tell <laughs> because it, it actually surprised me for how many books Asimov wrote like almost nothing has made it just screen. like uh one one of his last books uh turned into the Bicentennial Man right with Robin Williams um
0: which I need to rewatch. I remember liking that movie
1: I remember liking that movie too and it, um it seems like it's pretty it actually kind of follows the plot as mm. opposed to iRobot which does not follow the plot at <laughs> do you all have, do you
0: have a problem with that do you not like that
1: The it no I don't really like generally I don't care if the plot doesn't match if it's like for a good reason or if like if they say it's just like inspired by like i don't like we talked about it with the um the shirley jackson episode like i like the haunting of hill house as a series i don't think it should have been called that because it doesn't resemble the plot in any way
0: right um
1: so i in the case of iRobot i would almost say like just call it something else because not Was only it? did they change the plot, but they also like obliterated kind of the rules of like the main rule of Isaac Asimov's I robot is robots can't hurt humans or whatever. Sure. And isn't the whole plot of I robot that like robots start
0: killing people. First of all, all right, two questions. First of all, how long has it been since you've seen the movie? I
1: have not seen the whole movie.
0: Okay. All right. All I remember you is Will watch.
1: Smith and like guns and stuff. You
0: got to watch the movie cause it's amazing. <laughs> Second of all, wasn't I, Robot, the book just a collection of short stories?
1: Mostly. Like, so
0: there was no plot, right? It wasn't
1: like a novel. It was like um, one character who did make it into the movie, I think, from reading the description of the movie. She was like explaining the history of robots using like a series of anecdotes, basically. Right. So it wasn't a traditional novel um but it kind of like laid forth the the history of and rules of Asimov's robots.
0: Yeah, so it's it's kind of hard to I mean nowadays I think honestly we could get away with seeing a movie like that. I I could see us getting a movie that's a little bit more of a history kind of textbook being told by someone but you're seeing these shorter stories or something. Or it's, you know, like a Netflix show where it's a miniseries or something, mm-hmm. right? Um back in what, two thousand five, two thousand six, you were when, really
1: close. Two thousand four is when that came yeah, out. Yeah.
0: <laughs> when that movie came out, like no one knows about there's no such thing as that. You get if if you get a miniseries it's a it's a Stephen King miniseries on the sci fi channel. And it's super shitty.
1: <laughs> low budge. yeah, which um, is fine. but I'm my argument would be just don't call it iRobot then because then the Asimov fans like expect it to be
0: but, it, I, but it, it, this, the the laws are there. the the general idea of of robotics um, becoming more than machine is there. Um, that could
1: be based on any robot novel though they're sure they're all Uh, pretty similar that's
0: that's the classic move but i i don't know i i mean we're we're about to just not even talk about isaac Asimov. we're about to argue (laughs) about the validity of i I, robot as a movie adaptation which if we're going to do that we need to get the ink and film guys back on our show (laughs) so that they can tell us if it's good or not um go check them out ink to film um but yeah, I, I just I I liked it and I had I hadn't read iRobot at, at the time when I liked it, but that movie really impacted me, like like hard. I had watched movies like Minority Report and I was like, nah. And I had seen other sci fi movies that I was never really I didn't really enjoy too much, but when I watched iRobot, I mean my brain started pop in, man. I, I really was like, this is the fucking cool. Robots are the fucking coolest.
1: Would you have liked it less, though, if they called it something else?
0: I would not have cared. Yeah. But you're I I, I get it, but I still think that they were trying to, I don't know, they were trying to put a story into uh, a a novel that doesn't have a story
1: <laughs> that is true i I mean, I did not finish iRobot because it got very boring in the middle section,
0: even after you find out his arm is like metal no no, no, I meant the book. oh, I was gonna say that movie's <laughs>
1: badass.
0: It's will Smith at his peak
1: uh I am legend was will Smith at his peak. <laughs>
0: It's the same Will Smith era. <laughs>
1: did he also do shirtless pull-ups in iRobot?
0: I guaranteed he did guaranteed? shirtless pull-ups okay. in iRobot. Then I'll
1: go back and finish it. <laughs> <laughs> Granted, I was like nine or ten years old when iRobot came out, so I probably wasn't even supposed to be watching it.
0: De- Maybe that's what our next movie uh, people can make fun of us for talking through the whole thing. <laughs> we'll, <video>. be I, <laughs> we'll be iRobot. will be iRobot.
1: Perfect. The only part I'll shut up for will be... When will does, smith doing shirtless pull-ups. if he
0: doesn't do shirtless pull-ups uh i don't know what i'll do because i i feel like i remember that but now it's ju- it could just be i am legend
1: oh actually no i remember um this is going off on such a tangent but <laughs> we're talking about will smith doing pull-ups now No, when the movie uh came out uh robin isaac asimov's daughter like wrote a little like review or something yeah for the san francisco gate um And actually, I still have it on my computer. She said, to loyal fans of science fiction and Isaac Asimov, the only thing more disconcerting than robots attacking humans, a violation of the author's first law of robotics, is that the camera filming iRobot focused clearly on a buff Will Smith in the shower, but not on the statuesque Bridget Moynihan, as Asimov would have preferred. True. Very true. She both commented on the movie and her dad's, like, slutty, sexual harassing nature.
0: Yeah. Uh... I yeah, yeah, I I know I know. Uh, robots will not harm people, but that was, it was it was the idea that <laughs> robots can transcend those rules because of the rules. That's literally the whole point. Mm. You gotta watch it.
1: Okay, I'll watch it. And I'm then- reading
0: a book just to prove something to you. You can watch a movie for me. <laughs>
1: Remind me what book you're reading to prove I'm something to me. I'm reading two
0: books right now, by the way. Yeah.
1: Wait, is the thing that you're proving that you can finish a then book? Then I can read a damn book. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. And <laughs> I guess I can watch a movie.
0: <laughs> I'm reading um, The Shadow on the Edge of Town, or The Darkness on the Edge of Town, something like that, um, by Brian Keene. Hmm. It's pretty good so far.
1: Mystery...
0: Uh, it's it's a, I was told it's like a cosmic horror situation, almost oh, okay. like Stephen King, sort of, sort of, and it it reads really well. It reads better than Stephen King. Oh, I, said, oh, I know. Uh, You're not then, gonna find any criticism here. Yeah, and then, um, and then the other one is Guards Guards by Terry Pratchett. Nice. Yeah.
1: Well, we've gone completely off the rails here. Yeah. I participated heavily in this. Welcome tangent. back,
0: <laughs> sports fans. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, yeah, we were talking about Foundation at some point. Did you have anything else to add to that?
0: I saw that Apple TV is doing a thing.
1: Yeah, I actually um I watched the like little teaser video they put together for that. Um I will probably watch it actually. That's Cause... actually
0: what I was getting to by the way with my original question of like why do you think that people are so into it? And it's going to be Lord of the Rings got a movie and Foundation never has.
1: Yeah. I feel like people were really into Lord of the Rings before it got a movie, too. I feel like... Led Asimov... Zeppelin
0: never did a song about the Foundation series.
1: Yeah, but they did that before the movie.
0: Right, but Like Rush did like, a whole album, yeah, I, basically, they, that was they,
1: inspired by...
0: Was it a whole album? I, th- I thought no, it was just, like, three I, I songs. No, I think it was just three songs, yeah.
1: which is a lot for one book to get dedicated to it.
0: It was three books.
1: Technically, there's supposed to be one
0: whatever <laughs> hannah you nerd
1: <laughs> i don't know why the foundation series and and none of asimov's other works got as popular here's Maybe what i'm he saying just had too many if
0: you are going to be a, a lord of the rings fan a, a book lord of the rings fan not a movie lord of the rings fan which is what i am i'm, I am a, a, I'm movie a movie lord of the rings, of the rings fan i'm a, i love the movies um, at me in the comments, please comment. I just want to see comments. I don't even care if they're angry at me. Um, <laughs> um, then I think that you should give the foundation series a try, right? because it's it's sci-fi, but it's it's set on the same pedestal as Lord of the Rings by all the critics. That's fair. It's not really fair to be like, oh, the Lord of the Rings is the best book series but you haven't read the foundation series
1: which was named the best, the book best series. Book series. <laughs> that's that's a fair uh, argument Animals maybe and maybe i robot. yeah that too <laughs> uh, No, i think i will watch the tv series um because the the book series seems like quite an investment and asimov uh, is already a little dry for my tastes in his writing style
0: no way the guy that wrote textbooks is dry yeah did, did you I never lent you Caves of Steel, did I?
1: No. Is it dry? No. Yeah. Um Your voice was about two octaves too high for me to was, believe the no.
0: It was dry, but it was really entertaining. I don't know. I don't know how to answer that question because I just it was it yeah, it was a little dry, I guess, but it was really entertaining.
1: Okay.
0: You dive into the world, man. And and the way that he presents everything is really interesting. Oh, maybe. Let's talk about Caves of Steel. How do we, how do we, let's jump ahead. How do we get to Caves of Steel? Oh, I
1: don't, talk about Caves of Steel, Tyler. I don't,
0: I don't know where we're at. I don't we're know where Caves foundation. of Steel
1: is on the timeline. Cause all of his books are like, he wrote foundation, like he published his last foundation book the year he died. So like, oh, this was okay. all, so all over hard. his career. Yeah.
0: All right. Let's just move on from him writing foundation series. Let's, let's keep moving.
1: So iRobot robot had come out around the same time. So, and we kind of talked about that one too. Um, but yeah, so I guess this is a good point part to point out exactly how much he wrote, which is we can't because nobody knows. Yeah. You can't count how many books he published as well as all the individual short stories, essays and critiques. Um, but in 1994, no, 92, I think some, sometime late in life, he wrote that over the span of 40 years, he published (coughs) an average of a thousand words a day. In the second half of that time frame, it increased to 1,700 words per day. That's a lot of words. When was the last time you wrote 1,700 words a day for 20 years on end? Never.
0: Okay. Well, you <laughs> didn't let me answer. So <laughs> never. never. Obviously, for 20 years. Yeah, zero. Um, um,
1: so, the New York Times calculated it this way. They said Asimov wrote his first 100 books in 20 years. His second batch of 100 books took about nine and a half years. And his third took less than six years. Hmm. So he increased his speed wildly.
0: Well, not just that, but he also found more time to do it, right? Well, yeah. that's how it goes.
1: His first hundred books, like, he was also... We're talking
0: about a hundred books, though. That's insane.
1: Yeah, I just casually say his first hundred books.
0: (laughs) Most people are lucky to get ten books. Right? Most people are lucky to get one book. Then you get people who are really lucky and get ten books.
1: He had, you know, three hundred in uh what is that, thirty-six years ish? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Insane.
1: Um and I mean, he he was just always going. So he woke up every morning at six, sat down at his typewriter by seven thirty, and wrote without stopping, he said, until ten PM. And he also never allowed himself to do more than two drafts on any work. Hmm. Uh he didn't he was like his own proofreader and typist and he must have been pretty accurate because he was using a typewriter. Yeah. Uh, I
0: sometimes, sometimes this is what I get scared of is like, we're getting to a place with technology where like you can now like, while you're writing your email on your phone, you can just swipe right. And it'll fill out the rest of your oh, sentence I hate for you. That Right. As a writer, all writers hate that because it's taking away your job as a writer. <laughs> but like, I want want to be considered a great author one day. Um, But I'm going to have to, in every speech I give, give credit to Google (laughs) for fixing so many fucking mistakes (laughs) while I write. I don't know how people like Isaac are able to write well the first time or even the second time. Because even with... An algorithm and AI and, you know, stuff looking for all these things. I still make so many mistakes. You know this. <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything.
0: You don't have to. I'm my, <laughs> I'm my number one critic. Like, I read shit and I'm like, fuck, this is bad. I just, man, it's scary. I, I get afraid sometimes that I'm not going to be allowed to consider myself a real writer or a real author because that's a real author somebody who can can write fucking two drafts on a typewriter and it's it's printable
1: i think isaac would tell you to get over yourself and just sit down and write
0: yeah i know what he would say it-
1: He's like completely the opposite of pretty much everyone else we talk about on here. Like Frank Herbert took decades to finish writing Dune. Like yeah. every word seemed painful for him to and he try didn't to even get finish out. it. And he didn't even finish it. But Isaac is just like, Oh, um, you know, how do I warm up to write? I sit close enough that my fingers can reach the typewriter. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Um and like People would ask him about writer's block and he'd be like I don't get writer's block like The worst thing that happens is I get bored and then Switch to one of my dozen other projects that I Have going (coughs) that's how I beat Writer's block
0: that was the one thing I was Listening to I was like man maybe he's got to figure It out maybe that's my problem It's funny
1: though because every other author that Like I've read their writing advice they're like don't Get distracted by other ideas or you're never Going to finish what you were working on in the First place
0: yeah and maybe The fact that he wrote 300 books is just because he got into a whirlwind of like once you start down that path of like i'm just gonna do whatever i'm gonna do and you know you start running around with rope and soon that rope gets tight and you start flinging yourself off of a off of the dock and you gotta keep holding on and just keep circling back around because if you let go at any point you're getting flung
1: that's very visual yeah i just pictured him like sitting uh, did you watch Watch Parks and Rec?
0: Oh yeah, come on.
1: You know that time when uh Ron gets the circle desk that he has to sit in the middle of, and yes. people come in and like they're
0: walking around. Yeah, trying he keeps to get rolling around. Attention. I'm
1: picturing Asimov trapped in a circle desk, but there's like twelve different typewriters, and he's just like rotating from project <clears throat> to project. Yeah, man. Until he get, he gets back to number one, and then finally finishes his book. Yeah. Uh, so all of this writing from you know, 7 a.m. to 10 p.m., left him little time to be a father or a uh, good husband. So shall we get into some family problems? Heck
0: yeah, let's get into some family problems.
1: Okay, so remember way back in part one when uh, we (coughs) talked about that lady that he married after six months?
0: Good old Gertrude.
1: Gertrude. Uh, They had a lot of problems.
0: She didn't love him.
1: And he knew that before he married her.
0: And she smoked.
1: And he knew that
0: before he married her, too.
1: Also, they were both virgins, and apparently the sex sucked. He said later on.
0: To- oh, is that what he said?
1: <laughs> they were both virgins before they got married, and then uh, I guess she was not too impressed with him in the sack.
0: Which is interesting, since like apparently everybody else was.
1: He got his validation elsewhere. <laughs> Gertrude. <laughs> but yeah, the smoking thing was a big one, too. Uh, he he found living in a house full of smoke and, like, ashtrays to be absolutely disgusting, Um, when people started talking early on about possible negative health effects of smoking, what, uh, he, he tried to convince her to stop. Yeah. Uh, it didn't work. She, she couldn't be bothered. Uh, and aside from that, he said she was a good wife. So he was like, yeah, smoking, I'll put up with it.
0: Yeah. There was other stuff too, where like Gertrude and her family were,
1: were weirdly close. Yeah. Her mom, like. Her mom had a very codependent relationship with yeah. her or something, and Gertrude was always going over there and like, taking care of Goldbergs? mom. You ever seen the Goldbergs? No, that's like newish, right? Uh,
0: yeah, kind of. It's uh, it's like-
1: The one with that lady from Bridesmaids?
0: <laughs> yes.
1: Okay. Yes, I've seen previews for it. <laughs> it's a
0: really good show, and it's basically that mom and and those kids. She loves them more than anything in the world, and they hate her but love her back sort of thing, situation uh and then like the part where what was it one of their friends is one of one of their friends had a father-in-law die and leave them a bunch of money and she's like oh they're so lucky that oh. that their father-in-law died and left them all this money and he's like how can you say that how can you say that about somebody's father-in-law like that's not good and she's like well aren't they lucky that that happened shouldn't shouldn't wouldn't blah 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 and he's like He's like, well, I guess, yeah, I, I guess I should wish for my father-in-law to die and leave me a bunch of money, huh? And then she shut up about that,
1: <laughs> Gertrude.
0: <laughs> I think that they were just kind of a a little a little self-centered, uh, not self-centered. Self. I don't know what the word I feel
1: is. Feel like self-centered is right.
0: Yeah, probably. Yeah.
1: So, uh, yeah, they had many, many red flags early in their marriage. But uh, he stayed with her and they ultimately had two children. Uh, Their son, David, was born in 1951. So this is like uh, around the same time I, Robot, and the Foundation series are are getting published. Mm -hmm. Um, Gertrude was 34 at the time. So Isaac originally thought David would be their only son. Uh, But then four years later, uh, they have a daughter named Robin Joan or Joanne. I'm not sure j-o-a-n i'm going with Joan. <laughs> um isaac did not like kids no much like frank herbert <laughs> yeah um and since he was incredibly busy with work all the time he wasn't really close with either of his kids um he kind of like downplays it i think in his memoir but other places have said that like he kind of had a tense relationship with his kids and only repaired it with robin later on yeah um Like now she describes herself as his biggest fan, like as, as adults, they were incredibly close Mm -hmm. um, and like got along very well. Uh, he said like she, she learned to appreciate his sense of humor or something like that. Yep. Um, so yeah, so they were really close. His relationship with his son, David, um, never really super weird covered. Yeah. He
0: had some weird thoughts on his son, right? Yeah.
1: So the way he put it in his memoir, like David couldn't really function yeah. As an adult, uh I don't know if there was any like diagnoses for that. At
0: least at the very least he never said anything and uh it was like it was like he said, he basically described an autistic person. Yeah. Right, someone Without who just saying that. who just wants to stay at home and watch their movies, they like their their habits and does their own do their own things.
1: And the way Asimov tells it like he was fine with that. Like he <laughs> He described it as having a son who lives a life of leisure. Yeah. And that's what he would tell people when they asked what his son did, because people have high expectations for the son of for Isaac Asimov. Sure. He's yeah. like, nope, he just likes to watch his TV. Yeah. um, And so Isaac, you know, funded his son's living expenses for his entire life. Uh, and after he died, like through a trust fund or whatever. So he got a, a stipend. Uh, David grew into a very troubled adult. And uh, the last I saw of him was in 1998. He got arrested for possessing the largest collection of child pornography that whatever county in uh, California, I'm forgetting the exact one, had ever seen.
0: Good Lord. So. So we know where Asimov money went.
1: Yep. Uh, Meanwhile, Robin is the executive producer of the forthcoming Foundation series. So one child is doing great.
0: (laughs) The other one just not so much just
1: stay under the radar david
0: oh man that's kind of sad yeah kind of really i mean
1: fortunately for isaac that was after he died so yeah he didn't have to live with that knowledge
0: if there's an upside to
1: this (laughs) um now that we'll get into his uh, own moral problems which are not nearly as bad thank god
0: Depending on who you ask. Depending
1: on who you ask. Um, so, friends originally described Asimov as a model of, quote, moral rectitude. I don't even uh, know what that
0: means. What does rectitude mean? He's a
1: good person. He's a lot uh, of, of moral wh- fiber. What does
0: rectitude <laughs> Oh, You want mean, the though?
1: dictionary definition?
0: Yeah. Hey, listeners, um, we're going to spend the next second looking up the word.
1: Morally correct thinking or behavior. Righteousness.
0: <laughs> moral rectitude is... So, so it's, it's kind of redundant. It's redundant, yeah. <laughs> they should say that he was a model of rectitudeness eh.
1: or moral righteousness, if you're using that Yeah, that I guess. Definition. Um, this lasted until the cracks started showing in his marriage. Hmm. Uh, at which point uh, he started to go wild and became known by many women as, quote, the man with a hundred hands.
0: Oh, damn. Uh,
1: at sci-fi conventions, particularly in the 50s and 60s, he uh, displayed a habit of grabbing butts without permission. He would kiss women without consent. Uh, his his friend, Frederick Pohl, um, who, whose wife apparently wouldn't let Asimov come over because he creeped her out so much. Yeah. Uh, Frederick. Eventually confronted him about his behavior So if you're thinking oh it's just the 50s And 60s his friend Fred was like This is weird man you should Stop doing that yeah. it's not appropriate um, And Asimov admitted that He did get slapped a lot and deserved It Damn. Uh, but he was Proud of his dirty old man reputation so much so that uh, in 1971, in response to the popularity of sexual guidebooks like The Sensuous Woman and The Sensuous Man, Asimov published The Sensuous Dirty Old Man under the byline Dr. A.
0: Yeah, he didn't want his name associated with it, so he went with Dr. A, but then on the cover is a picture of him with a bra <laughs> over his eyes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and then the next year, he, would like, published a paperback version that had his actual name on it, too. Yeah. So... He was not. He took this nickname in stride, basically. Um. And then, so this was around the same time he started having a lot of affairs, right?
0: He wouldn't call them affairs.
1: Or one night stands? Yeah, basically. Hook
0: basically <laughs> hookups. Yeah, he, he got to a point in his relationship with Gertrude where he's like, this isn't going to happen anymore. We're not pleasing each other sexually. He said specifically he didn't think that she had any extramarital affairs. Mm -hmm. But he enjoyed women at these conferences. Yeah. So, like, Like,
1: sometimes uh, his gross, lecherous old man advances were reciprocated.
0: Well, not even that. He just realized that in the community of sci-fi, he was the man. And he didn't even understand, like, why women found him attractive. But he was like, yeah, this is great. Like, I... They love me because of the books I read, because of or wrote and because of my mind like people really want to have sex with me and I I'm okay with that. So I'm going to go ahead and just I'm just going to go ahead and do that then. Now is what I'm going to do is that. I'm going to do the sex with the young women that come up to me at this conference and they they want to have sex with me. I'm gonna I'm gonna say yes to that one.
1: I think that's the perfect internal monologue of any like (laughs) not attractive nerd dude who's suddenly getting a lot of female attention. Yeah, they want to do the sex with me. I want to do that. They
0: they they see my brain and go, I want that sex on me. I'm gonna let them let me do that to them.
1: Even they're seeing beyond uh, his gross sideburns and like.
0: Was it gross back then though, or was it dope as shit?
1: Uh you know the jury's out on that
0: one i could straight up pull (laughs) off some asimov sideburns if i let this grow out and i just shave my what i consider a mustache what most people would not consider a mustache and my and my chin hair here i could probably do a full-on
1: i think you could halloween 2021 here we come (laughs) should i be isaac
0: fat isaac asimov
1: (laughs) uh We don't use the f word, but also <laughs> <laughs> Isaac Asimov also had weight problems at one point too. So you, he
0: says he did, but what? Show me a picture of overweight Asimov.
1: I don't know, but he said at one point like he had to like seriously diet and then got back down to like 160 or something which makes me seriously question your six foot one reference early on because if he was 160 at six foot one that would be pretty skinny
0: yeah i don't i was i was i literally just picked a number i, I didn't like, know wait. whether he was six one or five five i couldn't tell as you. soon
1: as you said that i was like was isaac asimov really fat <laughs> <laughs> well, uh
0: so my question is that i wanted to ask you about this part is so i know you have a boyfriend and i and i'm i'm not i'm not trying to get anything salacious would i here. have done
1: it with isaac asimov no
0: well, that's kind of the question, but no, let's, let's just say like, is there something about men who are not, who don't look like Thor, but they're smart? Is there something attractive for women there? Like, do do you, again, I know you have a boyfriend. I'm not oh, trying really? to be like, hey, who, you, would you fuck Asimov? I'm just asking, <laughs> like, would you find someone like that attractive as a woman?
1: I mean... Obviously not everyone looks like Thor. So, right. at some point, yes. I mean, there's a lot to be said for a good sense of humor, which uh, you know, when Isaac wasn't being outright pervy, he I think he did have a good sense of humor. He was a yeah. good conversationalist by all accounts. Yeah. Um, so yes, that does go a long way. Yeah. Um,
0: but what kind of person do you have to be to approach someone and say, "Let's go fuck in the bathroom" because you wrote a book?
1: I yeah, I can't comment on that because that blows my mind. Like it would never occur to me to like be at a sci-fi convention and be like, "Oh, that author over there is really hot. I'm gonna try to get him to go <laughs> go back to my hotel afterwards." He like he wrote a Star I, Wars I, book. I Let's not, go fuck. Yeah, right. I am not the person to ask for input on that because I'm not really like a celebrity person or like right. a. Like yes, I like them. I like the things that they make. I have no like fantasies beyond that. And
0: and I want to be clear: I'm not judging people for doing this. Yeah, like even a little bit. If that's what you want to do, that's fine. I just don't understand that mindset. So if we have listeners who have gone after, pursued someone because they're a not celebrity, I specifically don't want celebrity (laughs) gossip. I don't give a shit about that. But like. They're like an author or someone who like has written something and and that's caused you to go, I want that inside of me or I want to do that. I want to hear that story. I don't want a graphic story. I'm not trying to – I don't need to read that on the air. (laughs) But I I want to hear these stories. I want to know that mindset. So if you are a listener who has pursued someone like an Isaac Asimov. Please write in and tell us why and, like, tell us the story. I want to know.
1: Yeah. there. I'm sure people have great stories uh, from things like this. And, and you know, uh, for the single listeners out there, maybe include some some details of how you make that happen for them. Yeah. Because <laughs> I can't even imagine that part. It's like, do you just go up and say, yo, I really <clears throat> like your books, want to fuck? Right. Like, what's, what's your segue into this? Please write us a textbook on it.
0: <laughs> I'll let you know. That doesn't work. I was I'm trying to I'm trying to think of a good pickup line that that a woman would say to an author Like oh, You really God. You really know how to I got nothing. I'm trying so hard here.
1: Something like your one book I'd like to finish. Oh
0: damn. Yeah, you're you can finish your book inside me.
1: <laughs> gross.
0: Yeah, it is. It's gross.
1: Did we put a like disclaimer at the beginning of this episode not safe for children? <laughs> Don't listen to this.
0: I'm pretty sure we have an E on our podcast so I'm okay with it. Perfect. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so yeah, so uh he's he's getting around in the 50s and 60s like so many people. Yeah. Um and then uh, so the The thing that I alluded to earlier was, like, with the harassment thing, like, one thing that finally kind of made him aware of his behavior towards women and that it might not be super appropriate um, was his friend, sci-fi author Alfred Bester's habit of greeting him with a bear hug and a kiss on the cheek.
0: Right. Um,
1: And if Asimov happened to have his back to him, Bester didn't hesitate to goose him, he said, which I had to look up what that was because I didn't know what it Uh was. Uh oh. do i need to explain it or com- i don't know what
0: goosing someone is so. oh
1: uh, okay i i had never even like it wasn't called this it was on some sh- sitcom um but it's basically like dudes go up behind oh, one another are you talking about put their what, fingers in, in between convenience? their convenience yes yeah that was the first time i'd ever seen this this was the first time i knew it was called goosing
0: uh-huh
1: it makes no fucking sense to me boys are so weird uh but yeah basically you go up behind someone and like shove your fingers in between their butt cheeks yeah. like really sharply yeah doesn't feel good it does not uh and so yeah this this other writer would do that if asimov was looking the other direction and asimov was like he he wrote in an obituary for this dude like years later uh about this and he said the writer's actions made him uncomfortable for two reasons one being it was literally uncomfortable being <laughs> bear hugged and goosed Uh, But it also made him realize that just like he approached Alfie, this writer, warily, he thought maybe young women at conferences and conventions were approaching him that way, expecting him to, like, attack them. And he was like, oh, like, was this wrong? (laughs) Yes, Asimov, it was wrong.
0: Man, I, I, I I would hope that maybe this Alfie guy was doing that on purpose.
1: And he wrote... That Asimov wrote something to that effect. He was like, was Alfie trying to like make me see the error of my ways? And then he was like, no, nah, I think that's just how he was.
0: Oh, uh, okay.
1: But, I mean, in a way, he did make him see the error of his ways. I don't know if he actually changed his behavior after that, but at least he At had the very like least, a, he
0: thought about he it. He
1: thought about it. He realized that maybe the ladies weren't into it.
0: All right. We got a lot to get through, and we are very- We're- Oh, man. Okay. Oh, we're still so getting let's, there. Let's jump, let's jump ahead a little bit.
1: Well, we got to talk about Janet-
0: well, yes. And, and that that's part of the conventions. Right.
1: Yeah. So at, in, in 1956, he met um, Janet Jepson, who was a psychiatrist and a fan of his writing. She um, actually handed him a book to sign in line. He didn't remember this this initial meeting very much until later on. Yeah. Uh, but she handed him a book. He asked about what field she worked in. And when she said <clears throat> psychiatrist, he said, good, let's get on the couch together. Classic Asimov. Classic. So she he's, left he's
0: all like, here's my number, call me maybe.
1: Yeah. So she, Janet leaves get it, thinking
0: Jepson? You don't get it, do you?
1: Carly Ray Jepsen. Yeah. Oh my god. That was that was good. Ha. that went over my head. So the other Jepsen, Carly Ray's grandma, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, leaves. Leaves the convention thinking this Asimov guy who she's idolized is a total pill. Three years later, they're both at a banquet for the Mystery Writers of America, and a mutual friend introduces them, and they hit it off because this time he's not being such a dick. Uh, their friendship continued by correspondence over the next decade. Uh, and when he and Gertrude split, <laughs> yeah, basically, they're writing letters to each other saying, You up, DTF? <laughs> no. <laughs> when uh, Asimov and Gertrude split in 1970, then uh, Janet helped him find an apartment in New York, not far from hers. They started dating, and when the divorce was finalized in 1973, they got married two weeks later.
0: Yeah, they spent some time, though. There was there was an awkward period where he lived with her.
1: Oh, before he got his apartment?
0: Uh, No, he got his apartment, but he didn't like being alone. Oh. So he lived with her, and then he'd go to his apartment to write during the day while she was at work. Oh. And then he would go back to her place at night and just stay the night with her.
1: He really loved Janet. Yeah. Like, he writes at length Despite in his Despite the fact
0: that he slept with many women even after he married Janet, he loved her he very much. He kept
1: sleeping around after that? Fuck yeah, dude. Ah, what a jerk.
0: That It was just who he was. He just liked women. He liked girls, and he wanted to sleep with them.
1: I don't think that's an acceptable That's just who he was. <clears throat> Janet's too good for him.
0: There was at one point, there was a, there's a story where he was with a girl at a convention. I I don't think they were married yet. He was with a girl at a convention. They were kind of hitting it off a little bit. Um, But I don't even think it was anything romantic. And he invited her up to his room and they were just kind of talking about stuff. And he heard Janet coming up the hallway and he knew she, you know, he knew she was going to come in the door. So he waited till she was close enough. Then... He pushed the girl up against the wall close to the door and then started making out with her right as Janet walked in. Like just to fuck with Janet.
1: Wow.
0: So like it, I if they if he wasn't fucking other women, I didn't I I thought that was pretty I thought they had a pretty open relationship at least on his end.
1: Yeah, it didn't he did not make it seem like it was on Janet's end and like for the whole time that they were writing letters to each other she never got married or anything. Right.
0: Right. So I, I don't know. I don't know I thought that it was I thought that he had talked about other women while he was married to Janet still.
1: Well, they were ahead of their time then with the open relationship thing.
0: Yeah. It was the sixties.
1: <laughs> it was the sixties. Um
0: Well Yeah. Late sixties. Yeah.
1: Well, 70s when they got married. That's, yeah, yeah. I wasn't
0: sure. Yeah.
1: Um, but I mean, everything I saw indicated that they were very happy in their marriage to each other. Yeah. Uh, Janet wrote sci fi novels for children. They wrote one book together that I think was about like how to get published or something. Um, sure. Yeah. They, they wrote something together. Um, so they were like and way and more he, compatible than he and Gertrude he were. liked
0: her work and he did nothing to help her get published. Specifically so that when people started saying, you know, she's only getting published because she's married to Isaac, he could say, nope, nope, <laughs> I actively didn't do anything for her.
1: That's the only time that sounds nice. Which again, I actively <laughs> did not help my wife.
0: Again, outside of sleeping with other women, he he has morals and he, he sticks to his guns on that shit.
1: I like the preface outside of sleeping outside with- <laughs> of
0: putting it in other girls.
1: It's just—it's so weird. He's not even good looking.
0: But how does about- he get
1: around so much?
0: That's what I want to know, ladies. Uh, write in.
1: Let us know who your Isaac Asimov is. <laughs> um. So now we're winding down. Uh, in in his later career, um, he he had some involvement. He lent his name to Isaac Asimov Science Fiction Magazine. So it was like he was getting into the world that brought him into writing, yep. basically. Um, and he wrote an editorial for each issue. Um, but that same year was the beginning of his, his health problems. He had a a heart attack. Um, and I think that kind of stemmed from those earlier health problems that he had talked about with like needing to lose a lot of weight, um, at some point. Um, so I, that didn't really slow him down production wise. He kept churning out tons and tons of books. Um, At one point, uh, former Beatle Paul McCartney approached him with, like, an idea for a movie musical uh, (laughs) where, like, a band finds out they're being impersonated by extraterrestrials or something.
0: What? Uh,
1: Asimov initially was like, oh, yeah, I'll do this. And then uh, he, like, came up with a slightly different concept and, like, rewrote all of Paul's dialogue. And Paul was like, I don't like this anymore. I don't
0: like it. Yeah. So then they they parted
1: ways. Could you have... Could you imagine a Beatles Asimov musical?
0: Musical? No. Well, yes, because Asimov loved writing music.
1: He didn't like uh like rock and roll though.
0: No, but he liked music. He was good at limericks, he was good at writing musicals. So I could see him writing it. Oh, I
1: feel like it would have been so cheesy. But like delightfully so.
0: <laughs> I'm an alien. I'm an alien. I'm walking down the road. People think that I'm in a bend, but I'm an alien. Nailed it.
1: Perfect. See, you should dig up Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney. Is he alive? H- He's dead.
0: No, Paul McCartney's alive. He's
1: alive? Sorry, Paul.
0: <laughs> Hit me up, bro. I'll write it for you.
1: Um, so, yeah. So, Asimov just keeps doing his, his novel thing, uh, including more foundation books. And then also um, the year in, in 1982? No, 92. So all the way up until his death, he's basically churning out tons of books, churning out tons of books every year. Um, 1983 was when his health really took a downturn uh, because he underwent triple bypass surgery. April 6th, 1992, he died in New York and his family at the time told everyone that it was due to heart and kidney failure. It wasn't until uh, 10 years later that the truth came out Um, That during his heart surgery He got a blood transfusion that was Infected with HIV His doctors at the time told his family And him um, that basically If he publicized it he could risk Like an enormous backlash from the the Anti-AIDS fear Back then So he kept it a secret and even after He died his family kept it a secret Until 10 years later when Janet and Robin Agreed that it was time for the truth To be made public
0: Jeez, That's nuts
1: 10 years. Everybody thought he died from one thing
0: when he 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 him and Freddie Mercury, they got taken from us way too early,
1: way too early. So, yeah, Freddie Mercury
0: was around the same time, too, though, right?
1: Probably there was an there was like an athlete or something that like got um, diagnosed with HIV like the same year as Asimov and went public with it. And he did face the backlash. Uh Uh, So I guess that was very much a thing in the 90s.
0: Ninety one.
1: Ninety one was when Freddie Mercury died? November twenty fourth, nineteen ninety one. Wow. So, so l- like, not even a year later, as mom has gone too. So
0: yeah. That's weird though. It's weird that he would
1: I'm surprised what? that he kept it a secret. Yeah, what would what
0: I don't I don't I don't know anything about the era as far as what the a anti AIDS prejudice was
1: well the 80s was like the high of that right did they yeah, know the, more the by the 80s, 90s I,
0: I feel like they did i feel like in the early 90s things started to kind of come out of the closet a little bit more that was a joke sorry i couldn't help it but things started to come out a little bit more so people weren't as afraid of it and you know learning how to get around it abstinence it's the only way
1: abstaining from blood transfusions (laughs) when you're getting heart surgery
0: (laughs) but like what would do you do you really think that people really would have turned on him
1: i don't know
0: or do you think maybe it was like they didn't want to publicize his sexual
1: well yeah maybe because he was such a skank like they would have automatically would have been like, oh, he
0: got it from that, yeah. not from the blood transfusion. The
1: doctors could have been like, no, it was a, a blood transfusion, and people would have been like, right. Yeah,
0: uh-huh, sure. It wasn't his blood transfusion, a dick. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Ladies can have AIDS, too, Tyler.
0: Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. He got it from a lady. Oh,
1: his, okay. His
0: dick is the blood transfusion. Yeah,
1: gross. <laughs> 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 but, yeah, I don't, I don't understand it. Because, I I just don't think that way. Like, if I found out now that one of my favorite authors had AIDS, I wouldn't be like, "Oh, I'm not going to buy their books anymore." I might catch the no, AIDS. No, but or... we're
0: we're in a completely different uh, scare at this point, right? There was the satanic panic, the anti-AIDS. <laughs> now we're in the there coronavirus was... panic. No, we're in the we're in the cancel culture. You know, like we're we're in a phase now where, if you if you don't have the exact right ideas of stuff, then People aren't gonna read your shit, right? Like,
1: yeah. So this is probably the same thing. Yeah, just it, the nineties version.
0: Uh, and I mean, which I shows... can't relate
1: to because I will <laughs> buy if if I want to read a book, I'm gonna read a book.
0: Yeah, I, I've been a Lovecraft fan for long enough that I can I can compartmentalize an author and their story and their beliefs.
1: I am surprised though that like with all of uh, Asimov's other firm <laughs> beliefs and like staying true to himself that he. Would listen to the doctors in that case, yeah. Because like I don't in so know. many other, it's like so weird when people would tell him he wasn't Jewish enough or whatever. Like he would fire back like very, uh, very verbosely and, and passionately. So I'm surprised that he let his medical or his like health troubles go lied about basically.
0: <clears throat> Maybe he was just tired, Maybe. you know. Maybe at that point in his life. He's already had triple bypass surgery. He's got <laughs> HIV. He's written four hundred books. Like I maybe mean, was just tired. And he's like, you know, yeah, that's fine. Let's just not tell people.
1: <laughs> not tired enough to stop writing because, uh, yeah, his he kept he wrote at least two novels in his last year of life. Really? And he died in April. Or well, he published at least two. Right. Yeah. Foundation and uh, the one that became became the Bicentennial Man. Both came out in ninety two,
0: which is a bicentennial. Man, again, I, I remember it being a great movie. So I maybe I need to re- go back and read that.
1: Yeah, he didn't. He didn't live long enough to see the movie. Sadly,
0: do you think he would have liked it?
1: I don't know. He definitely would have told us if he didn't.
0: <laughs> yeah, he would have wrote a scathing critique of it. Actually, it probably would have been scathing because he hates crit- critics who are scathing.
1: Fuck them scathing critics. Scathers. <laughs> Scathers. Is that a word? It, I should, be. <laughs> it should be. should
0: yeah. be. I'm pretty sure that's what uh, the fans of Byron Scavies calls their calls themselves. <laughs> the, the Scathers. The Scathers. <laughs> Welcome back, Scathers. <laughs> we need to have Byron Scavies on our podcast. Do we really? Correspondents. You need to Do interview we? Byron Scavies.
1: Maybe we can arrange that scathers send us your questions
0: yeah scathers if you want if you want questions to byron Scavies, hannah's gonna she's gonna do her journalistic uh, diligence diligence <laughs> and really nail this guy <laughs>
1: i feel like uh, our listeners have no idea what you're talking about so
0: go look up radio midnight
1: <laughs> best name ever
0: it's the best show ever
1: the best show ever
0: I mean, ours is Ever. obviously the best, Thank but you. Radio Midnight podcast, both episodes. There's gonna be more coming, you know. There's gonna be. with all the alien shit that's coming out. You think Byron's not gonna cover that shit? Come on, Byron's on top of it.
1: So, do we have any final thoughts on on Mr. Asimov before Byron takes over?
0: Um, man, I don't know. I I liked. Caves of Steel and um this this the one that came after that something in the sun um I'm interested to read the Foundation series. I thoroughly enjoyed listening to his autobiography, his memoir, uh even though it was way too fucking long.
1: So long.
0: I don't know why I wasn't scared off by the 24 hour audiobook. 24 hours. It's insane.
1: And it's not in chronological order. Which he jumps
0: around like I do. It's dumb.
1: It's good if you're reading it for entertainment purposes or like to learn more about your favorite author. But it's really hard when you're trying to put together a timeline.
0: Yeah. So um, I like his writing style. I think he's an interesting guy. I would like to read more of his sci-fi books. Uh, I'll definitely probably go after the Foundation series and as as something else that I want to read. I'm, I'm conflicted about a lot of his personal views on stuff. I I like there's a, there's a moment where he really started to um, push for equality for a lot of people, uh, especially during the sixties and and seventies. And he called other authors and writers out for being anti-black Right. Like straight up, he wrote that in a in a newsletter at one point and I was like, yeah, this author's anti black. And that guy's like, you can't say that about me. And he's like, why? It's true. You are, though. And the guy's like, yeah, but you can't say that. <laughs> uh, and but then at the same time, like. At least from what I've read, I haven't seen any a lot of that come through in his writing. And that's interesting to me that you can hold personal beliefs and then they don't touch your creative um, work at all because to me it's it's such an important part of my creative work it's me working through my beliefs and my understandings of, of the world that's why I write but that's obviously not why he wrote he wrote because he liked to write stories right so uh, I don't know it's it's weird it's a really weird situation that I find myself in with Isaac Asimov
1: yeah. I'm, I can see it, it both ways with that like yeah he wrote 500 books almost like did he not have time to put some politics in there but also like I'm, he's the kind of guy where when people confronted him about not writing enough Jewish stuff in his books he's like why do I have to write Jewish stuff in my books why right. can't I just write a book so yeah. I guess politics weren't really his, his thing although he was pretty uh, politically involved outside of fiction like he wrote a lot of political stuff yeah uh, it just didn't translate into his novels.
0: And there's a lot of stuff we didn't touch in this show. Like, God, so much he was, stuff. <laughs> he was a part of like five different clubs that would do different stuff. Like, He hated Sherlock Holmes, but he was a part of a group of people that pretended like they're in a Sherlock Holmes book.
1: I'll bet he was really good at that.
0: Yeah, he was. He was too good at it.
1: <laughs> Did they kick him out?
0: I don't remember they're if like, they kicked him out. It's not fun anymore. He might have become the president. Um, he was a part of the, the Society for Geniuses. And he didn't really enjoy being a part of that because he said it was like being in, a, in the Western, you know, the old Wild West and gunners, you know, would challenge each other to stuff. And he's like, I didn't want to do that. I just wanted to talk about stuff. But they were too obsessed with like proving that how smart they are <laughs> and they need to take me on because I'm the smart guy in the room. Um, You know, he, he was a part of a bunch of different groups of people because uh, he, he liked people. And I think that's what I really liked about about learning about him is how much he enjoyed people. Half of his memoir, the chapters are just talking about the people he's met.
1: Mm -hmm. He has so many chapters about other writers (coughs) or friends that he's had. Yeah.
0: Like the, the lady that, um, um, the, the short lady that ended up marrying one of his friends and she gave him an idea for a book. And then he went to another publisher and, sold that idea to to them not realizing that she was being serious and like wanted him to 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 do that for her and then when she found out that he did that she like lost her shit and he like he's like i it's the only time i've had to run from a lady from her like office because i knew i was gonna get it from her and then um and then he ended up doing it again (laughs) a second time and she ended up having to, like, go back and buy the rights from the other publisher because she loved his work so much.
1: Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. He had
0: so many friends. He had so many relationships with people. And and so, like, looking at, you know, like, C.S. Lewis and Tolkien, their relationship was like brothers almost, right? And they, they – if it wasn't for both of them being with each other, we would not have Narnia or Middle Earth the way that we do now. Um, and those two were different than, um, Isaac Asimov. Asimov just,
1: he has a lot of friends. He has a
0: ton of friends and he loved all of them. It wasn't like, oh, you know, I know that guy, but whatever. It's like, no, that guy, let me tell you his life story and how beautiful he was because I do that (laughs) in my books for some reason.
1: And let me do it for like 25 other close friends of mine. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, he's definitely prolific. Uh, I, I probably could have done without all the, the weird sexual harassment stuff or the cheating. Uh, But, you know, I didn't have to be married to him. So sure. as long as Judith was happy or Janet.
0: And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Janet, <laughs> maybe that all stopped after Janet. And it was only during Gertrude and it was because he was unhappy. Not a fan of it, but.
1: Yeah, I don't think cheaters uh quit, really. <laughs> so it would make sense
0: for it to yeah. keep going. Yeah. I- I I have a lot of thoughts on relationships. I've had had fans. I know. I've had fans tell me that they're, you know, they disagree with my thoughts on relationships. I totally understand it. I totally get it. Uh, But I'm right and you're wrong. And I have a podcast, so you can't do anything (laughs) about it. (laughs) To the fans, I
1: I will say that Tyler is one of my, like, go-to people for relationship advice, even if I don't agree with it. I usually find stuff insightful.
0: Sure, and and generally on the podcast, I just talk out of my ass. Yeah, anyway. like I'm I'm saying stuff because it sounds salacious. Is I love that, that
1: word. Your inner Byron coming out. No,
0: that was me trying to do uh, Eugene Levy from
1: Oh God um, from Shits
0: Creek. Creek. What salacious news?
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, lest we fall into a, a an <laughs> yeah, impersonation we're go black far hole off the, off the trail. Uh, Tyler, where can they find us?
0: Uh, You guys can always go to our website if you want to check out our stuff. I'm going to try and update it soon so that we can maybe get some of our other stuff. I know Hannah's been posting a lot more from her day job with Black Rifle. And maybe if she starts a blog or something with those writings, then we can get a link up to that. Um, putting me on the spot there. I know. I I hadn't even talked to you about this outside of the I'll show. I'll just
1: send all the links. Everybody gets a link. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um. You can get to our social medias from that as well. Um. You can go to our social media, facebook.com uh, slash Lewis and Lovecraft if you want to go to our our Facebook where we never hang out. Um. You can also go to our Instagram where we post um. Inconsistently every single day, it's uh. But it's where you'll get most of of what what's going on with us at our Instagram at Lewis and Lovecraft. And of course you can email us any flash fiction that you want us to read on your show. Any time of the year, it doesn't have to be for one of our specials. We will read your story on our show. Um, if you want to tell us uh, your, a review of a book that you've read, we want to hear it. If you have your thoughts on an author that we've talked about, we want to hear it. If you have fucked an author, we want to know <laughs> about really it. We really want to hear that. Um, please write to us. We, will, we don't get enough emails and we don't have enough um, people talking back at us. And you know what? If you don't talk back at me, I'm going to think I'm important enough to keep talking. And nobody needs that.
1: But if you talk back at him, he's also going to think he's important enough to keep talking.
0: Shh, don't tell him that, Hannah. <laughs>
1: um, as always, we want to thank Jake Basson for our awesome intro music. You can find him at SoundCloud.com slash Jake Bassin, B as in boy, A-S-S-E-N.
0: Make sure you subscribe to our show so you can see all of the stuff we released, like these deep dives, as well as correspondence episodes. And a couple times a year we do our flash fiction episodes if you haven't checked out our latest produced by hannah herself the wonderful wonderful producer of flash fiction go check out our last episode science flash fiction sci-fi flash fiction
1: it was a good one it was a very good one we this was quite possibly our best round of wait, submissions wait they yet. were
0: the it's the same story <laughs> I know I'm still freaking out
1: um I was texting Allie Fitzgerald our, our friend like at the same time she was listening to it yeah and so she like texted me at one point she's like oh like this voice worked really well for your story and then like five minutes later she texts me wait that was the ending of your boyfriend or that was this alternate viewpoint of your boyfriend's story and it was like getting to relive the excitement all over again yeah, I was yeah, like was- that was exactly what Tyler did <laughs> Um, and uh rate and review us, especially on Apple Podcasts, if you can. Um we we love to see new reviews. I think we got a couple of new
0: ones. Oh, did we?
1: Or oh, or were those old ones? Or were the those ones I posted? Different platform?
0: Yeah, that's oh. Pod Chaser.
1: Rate and review us on Pod Chaser too. Yeah, we
0: got three reviews on Podchaser. I loved the review where they simply said, I want my sticker. <laughs> <laughs> Super perfect. Keeping Uh, it honest. (laughs) Email us and we will, we will email us with your info. We will get that sticker to you, my guy. Uh, Very happy to send stickers to people who leave reviews for us on iTunes and Podchaser.
1: We are not above bribery.
0: Not at all. Go to Patreon, support us there. Uh, It's the second best way to support us. You can give us money, we can pay for our website, and, you know, just a little idea, some merchandise, maybe what? Because God knows I have so many ideas and things I want to do with it. But it takes money to do stuff like that. And right now, we only have the two patrons who are paying for our website.
1: Thank you, patrons.
0: Yeah. Are, are we going to say their name every time? or?
1: Thanks, Devonnie and...
0: Gage. I, <laughs> I didn't know if we wanted to, like, every single time. I'm happy saying their name. I I, I love w- saying their name. yeah Avani. And Gage. Gage. You're Avani. the best.
1: Gage. okay well now it's getting creepy so uh um, we're gonna wrap this up y'all the, the best way to support us is to tell a friend about our show
0: <laughs> make sure you tell a friend Honey. <laughs> go ahead and tell a friend gauge huh
1: you guys are paying us everybody else pay us by telling a friend <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: make sure you go tell friends it's the best way to support us we don't pay for well we do pay for advertising on facebook sometimes or <laughs> on instagram but uh, the best way to try and get the word out is to tell people. It's the best way to do it.
1: Tell them all the fun facts you learned about Isaac Asimov and his sideburns and penchant for grabbing buds. Who are we talking about next? We don't know. So let's just so sign no, off s- here. There's no
0: spoiler. <laughs>
1: no, we've gotten a little bit behind in the schedule. Yeah, we've
0: got a, 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 no way. Six months into our plan, things kind of went awry.
1: It's five months longer than I expected it to last. Yeah.
0: So um we'll
1: circle back next week or two weeks from now.
0: When we know you'll know. Well, that's <laughs> not true. When we know two weeks later, you'll know. <laughs> Breaking news. <laughs>